In some ways, this message is an extension of the topic we've been looking at the last few weeks in the realms of living connected to God so that our life overflows with good fruit. Specifically, the last two weeks, we've been looking at the testimony of Brother Lawrence, who very famously wrote that book, Practicing the Presence of God. And we combine that with some great scripture that encourage us that we are made for fellowship with God. We are made for an intimate communion and connection with God, where we talk to God about everything. Or as 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says in the Passion Translation, we make our entire life a prayer. That God does not want to be distant, far away, aloof, uninterested, disconnected with your reality, Rather, God wants to be incredible, incredibly powerful, personal, and present in an intimate connection with you. And so we've been looking at how to cultivate that ongoing connection with God. And we felt like there was just a, a, a great passage in Scripture that's been on our hearts for a while that really continue this conversation about fellowship with God, constant connection with God. How do we live in God's presence so I'm going to take us to 1 John 1, starting at verse 3 and, and through uh, chapter 2, verse 2. The overarching theme and the context of this whole passage is about fellowship with God. The word fellowship comes up four times in just this short little chapter, and it's about fellowship with God and each other. And actually, what you're going to see is the Apostle John, in many ways, treats those as very, very connected, if not one in the same, like fellowship with God and each other, real fellowship, real relationship go hand in hand. And so that's something to really be thinking about as we look into this passage, but four times he uses the word fellowship. So let's look at this passage and we'll dig in. The Apostle John says this to his church, which is important to know. This is a group of believers the ones that he is apostolically shepherding. And if you're not familiar with the book of 1 John, this is John the Apostle, John the Disciple, the beloved disciple of Jesus, the one who leaned back on, on Jesus' chest at the last disciple and, and in his own <laughs> Gospel of John, names himself as the beloved disciple. He also names himself, so there's, there's that picture we saw from Brother Lawrence about how it's good as a child of God. You should all, we should all at times think like, we must be God's favorite. You see that in the Bible. I mean, John calls himself in his own gospel, the beloved one. I mean, that's funny. Come on. If you wrote a book and, we're, you know, we're all in the same team, right? And let's say someday God says, hey, write a, a book about your experience at Elevation, and you write, you know, the book about the beloved disciple of Elevation? I mean, come on. It's a little funny. He also points out that when he and Peter were running to the tomb, he outran Peter. It, it's just human, man. It's funny. He's like, yeah, we were running to the tomb, and by the way, I totally toasted him. Got to Jesus first. It's just good. He's also the son of thunder, you know, James and John, who, you know, in all of his great maturity and wisdom as... 
as Jesus named him this powerful person and, and the Samaritans rejected him and he said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and toast them all? And that's where, uh, why we're thankful that, you know, in our immaturity at times, God doesn't give us the fullness of our dreams because smoldering villages are not the, the, the will of God. But that's the same guy. I love the discipleship journey that's honest in the Bible. And so he writes this, this book. Now he's kind of old and gray, and he's the, the, the apostolic pastor of these churches. And this is what he writes. That which we have seen and heard and proclaim, excuse me, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship, there's the first time we see it, with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let me pause real quick. That's an echo of what John wrote in John 17, 3, where he said, John, same guy, eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That's the exact same thing. He's saying now we're living in that. We're living out our eternal life. Indeed, our fellowship, our relationship, our knowing, our life is all about fellowship with the Father, knowing the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. So he's stayed consistent for the past, you know, 40 years. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship, there's the third time, if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, excuse me, yeah, he is in the light and he is the light. He said both now. We have fellowship with one another. So now it's back to one another, but same word. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the atonement for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Yeah, who's right? There is a lot of good stuff in that passage. Let's go to that word fellowship first. It is mentioned four times. That's called the theme. <laughs> if you're doing Bible study, one of the easiest ways to look at the core of the message is look for repeated words. So the theme of this passage is fellowship. Fellowship with God and fellowship with others. The word in the Greek is koinonia. It is a very important word. It's really not used in, in Hebrew culture. It's a Greek term that was used 
to describe intimate relationship, primarily in Greek culture, you see it used to describe marriage. And the New Testament picks that up as the description of the kind of intimate relationship people will have with God and in the church. That book of Acts chapter 2, different writer than right here. It says the disciples were devoted to koinonia with one another. That fellowship, the relationship. But it's real relationship. It's deep. It's authentic. It's not surface level. It's what a marriage would be described at when it's good. So this passage essentially challenges the believers in John's church to think about now that you're a believer, which is a key piece to understand here, they're already believers. Now that you're a believer, there's two ways to live your life. And he uses a group of words and kind of parallels them, which does get a little confusing, to be honest. So I'm going to kind of extrapolate a little bit and put them in the groups. He uses some parallel words to describe these two different ways of life as believers. So in one group of words, so that's another way, studying the Bible, you look at words that are parallel and they often are used to interpret each other and give us nuanced understanding of what is meant by them. So in one group, you have walk in darkness, lie, say we have no sin. So that's one group. In contrast, we have walk in the light, practice the truth, and confess our sins. That word confess, let's, let's pull out a little bit of the religious baggage on it. That word means to agree with, admit, homo logeo, to say the same thing. Homo is the same thing, logeo is to say. So to say the same thing, to confess, means you are agreeing to say the same thing as God. That you have sin <laughs> in your life. Goes on to say, if you say you have no sin or don't still have any struggles, you are calling God a liar. Because he looks at our life, he looks at our hearts, he looks at our intentions, and his word is, you still have issues. And our job is to admit, to agree with, to have that same word, to have that same saying, to confess, to say, yes, I still have struggles. I still miss the mark. I'm still not there yet. And so that's really these, these parallel groups. Walking in darkness would be like hiding our sin, trying to keep it in the closet, trying to keep it behind closed doors. And God considers that a lie if we say we have no sin. And this grammar here is important. If we say we have no sin, that's present active, meaning like it's, it's ongoing and still existing. This is not saying do we admit that in the past we were sinners? This is saying, it, if we say we don't have any sin now, we're lying, we're living it in darkness, we're hiding it. And the result, what does it say? We're deceiving ourselves. And we will keep on sinning, and we will not have that deep fellowship with God and one another. In contrast, the good news, if we walk in the light... 
Meaning we let the light of God's Holy Spirit expose the truth and the reality when there's sin and struggles. That's right in line with practicing the truth. To practice the truth in this context means to admit, to confess that I don't have it all together. I still got struggles. I still got hurts. I still got issues. And when we live in that way, what does it say? We are forgiven. We are cleansed. We will stop sinning, <laughs> and we will walk in greater fellowship, intimacy, koinonia with God and others. Amen. Yeah, I mean, this is a heavy passage. This is, he starts, this is the, the Apostle John starting his letter to his churches a couple decades after he wrote his, his uh, you know, gospel, now he's getting real specific to churches, his churches that he knows, and he's kind of laying out, he, hey, these are two different ways you can choose to live now as believers. And there are really different outcomes. And that last part of the passage is, is really shocking to me, where he really gets into a phrase that, wow, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. Do you believe it's possible to get rid of sin in your life? What else is John saying? The way to, come, to overcome sin, struggles, hurts, is not to act like we don't have any of them, to hide and pretend they don't there, but rather to walk in the light of his truth and be honest and real about what is still there when it shows itself. And when we do that, what does it say? Forgiven, cleansed. If we confess our sins, 1-9. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that's a very key phrase. Forgiven, yes, we get that, right? We plead the blood of Jesus. We confess our sins and the blood of Jesus covers us. His righteousness covers us. We are forgiven. Amen. We have an advocate. That's awesome. The second half of this and is where it really parallels with John's audacious phrase that I'm writing this so you stop sinning, so that you can be an overcomer and live in victory. Because not only are you going to be forgiven, you're going to be cleansed of all unrighteousness. The cleanse is the word katharidze, like cathartic, something that's made clean, but here, here it goes deep, purified, healed, healed, healed. So this is not cleansed in the sense of like sometimes we talk about we're cleansed from sin like the sin is forgiven. This is a separate, this is the purification of your heart from all unrighteousness, where your character is actually being transformed to become more like Jesus, which is all over the New Testament, by the way, as, as part of the inheritance and blessing of being a child of God. We are being renewed in the image of our creator. We looked at that as men yesterday in Colossians 3. We, we have the privilege now to put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. That's the same exact idea, different author, same spirit, to say we have the power in Christ to increasingly stop sinning and put on the righteousness of Christ. Live out this new character that is being renewed in the image of our creator. And this is the same idea here. We're forgiven, and now as we bring those things into the light, the promise is a purifying and a healing of our hearts so that we stop sinning. 
It's good news. So when we live in the light, that's the, that's the, that's the, to be the, the meme to hold on to. It's about fellowship, koinonia with God and others. And how do we do that? We live in the light. Live in the light about struggles, shortcomings. That's inviting the Holy Spirit to not only forgive, but to do that katharidze, that cathartic, that purifying, cleansing, healing of all those areas of unrighteousness. It's good news. So all of this, living in the light, which he parallels confessing sin, agreeing with God, admitting that, yes, we've still got stuff, that honesty with God, that telling the truth, it says, about struggles, leads to forgiveness, cleansing, purifying, healing our hearts, and all of that increases, the point is, getting back to fellowship, all of that increases our koinonia, intimacy with God and others. Reminds me of, blessed are the pure in heart, for, for they shall see God. When we're talking about intimacy with God, it's not complicated. If you've got a bunch of junk in your heart that is kind of Lord of your life or got your affections, got your satisfaction, got your pleasure, there's only so much room on the throne of your heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. The katharidze of the Holy Spirit wants to cleanse, purify, heal so that we can have that greater fellowship with God himself and with one another. So this way of life is meant to empower us to actually overcome sin. My little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. It doesn't get any more clear. These truths, I believe, are meant by God to encourage us. You ever seen the breakdown of that word, encourage? So that courage goes in you. You speak an encouraging word, you are putting courage into someone. This passage is meant to put courage in us that we don't have to hide as Christians. We got nothing to hide about. We don't have to pretend that we have it all together. And then hiding or pretending, the Bible actually here calls lying. <laughs> so be truthful about it. Come into the light. Speak the truth that God's already spoken. And, and so that we can have intimacy with God and others. But hiding actually keeps us from greater intimacy with God and others. No, we can have the courage to be real, live honest lives with ourselves, God, and each other, and that is what's going to bring real intimacy with God and others. Because that's where we're, we bask in our forgiveness and where we're the katharidze. That's where we're cleansed, healed, purified. It's a pretty good deal. I mean, it's, it's such a contrast. We, we do live in a world where you know, increasingly, and social media contributes to this all the time, it's like, it's just, you know, look good, pretend you have it all together. Slap on the smile on the outside. Don't say that anything's wrong or hard, or you still, you know, this still hurts, or this still's challenging, you're still struggling in this area, you still got fears here, or shame here. But John says, if you act like that, you're being a liar. 
because we're not agreeing with what God says. Right in there. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and we're saying that God is a liar. But the good news, the encouragement is there's no need to lie. There's no need to lie to ourselves or others. Because as we confess, as we admit those areas where we struggle and we fall short, what does it say? You are condemned. No. It says you're forgiven and healed. Forgiven and cleansed. So we don't have to live with these barriers up between God and others. And actually, this is the path to freedom, according to 1 John here. And this is not in any way trying to be morbid about, oh, hey, go, you know, look for sin and, like, just feel bad about it. That is, that's, you know, beat yourself up. That's not it at all. This is just a call to be real about the reality that none of us have arrived. And we all do have struggles and sins. And to live in the light honors God. It honors God. Because it says, yeah, I'm not there yet. I'm not yet transformed to be fully like Jesus. And I'm not going to pretend I am. I'm going to honor you, God, and let you do the work you want to do in me. And so when they come up, we just don't try to, to hide them in darkness. We let the warm light of God's love expose them. And I know that's kind of a dangerous phrase. Living in the light is about letting the warm, safe, healing, forgiving love of God expose those areas so that we can be forgiven, healed, and have greater intimacy with God and to those who are close to you. I remember when this, this truth started really taking hold. And, and I'll say, to be honest, the first year of our marriage was really hard because we were living this out. So there's struggle, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, the first year of marriage is hard in general for most people. But one of our mentors brought this passage, and I don't know why, but it exploded in our hearts of like, not as a scary thing, but like, no, whoa, wait, look at the promise. If you live in the light, that's where you are going to experience the breakthrough of being healed from sins. And what, I remember what stuck out so much was not just the forgiveness, because I had been a Christian a long time, so it's like I get forgiveness, and I'm not trying to minimize it, but I get it. The blood of Jesus, we take communion, and we trust in the perfection of Jesus to forgive us. But that word in there that says now as, but when we live in the light, that's a promise to be healed from your sins, cleansed, purified, and it parallels, like I mentioned, with 25 different verses in the New Testament about being transformed, actual character transformation. And that was really appealing in the first year of marriage when it, I was, what was exposed was, I'm a very imperfect person and I cause a lot of conflicts because of my pride. Let's be real. I mean, at first it was just, you know what, I know everything and you need to get in line, <laughs> you know? But didn't take very long for that lie to be exposed. And the reality that was exposed was there's a lot of problems because of me and my pride and my desire to always be right and my willingness to just fight just to be right, just to win the argument. And I am causing problems. And now let me tell you about her. So what was so attractive, genuinely, was this, 
wait a second. If I will humble myself, have courage to let the Holy Spirit shine and say, hey, no, 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 that is pride. <laughs> like, own it. Don't try to, you know, put that in the closet, in the safe, lock it, you know, retina scan it. Like nobody can see it, not even the Holy Spirit. Keep it way back there. No, don't do that. That's not helpful for you. Is it working? Is it working in your marriage? Really, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit doctor filled me. Is it working, you know? It doesn't work. What works is trusting that you are forgiven, first of all, covered by the blood of Jesus, and that there's a promise that says to the degree you will allow yourself to come into the light, be exposed by the light of God's truth, live in that truth, you will be healed. You can stop sinning. That's good news. And, you know, I, I, seriously, 21 years later in our marriage, I can honestly say I, I see the transformation of God. I, I look around at, you know, people sometimes like, you know, I don't know how people get through life without God. I don't know how they get through marriage without God. I don't know how through they get through kids without God, the trials of life, but God. And I know I can feel and see the transformation that God can bring. And that's glory to God. It's just, just, just have the courage to just like put yourself out there. <laughs> like, it's, it's not like this wildly noble, like, oh, I'm so good. It's just like, okay, God, shine the light, show me, and thank you that you're going to heal me. And let him do his gracious work. It's a really good deal. And all of that, though, actually one other thing. With that, there's, a, to me, a helpful meme that we don't have to be scared of our sin. Shame is gone, okay? Like if we're living in the blood of Jesus, under the blood of Jesus, shame is gone. It's got to be because you're not trying to earn God's love. You're not trying to perform for God's love. If, if you are, then, then shame gets really big, right? Because then you feel, oh, I am not good enough, and you're not. That's why Jesus was on the cross, not you. So sin doesn't have to be scary. I know that's just maybe a weird way of saying it, but that's to me what, what connected in all this is like, no, sin doesn't have to be scary. My struggles, my imperfections, it doesn't have to be scary. They don't have to be like that little boogeyman that you want to hide away in the dark closet and hope nobody ever finds. It's actually the opposite. It's like you want to learn to open up all the doors of your heart to the Lord and say, shine your light, Lord. Expose it all. Anything that's in the dark, because the more that is exposed by the light, the more that's cleansed and healed and your promises, that will increase intimacy with me or between me and you and then me and my beloved ones. And it does. It's the difference between living with walls up or living together, free, honest, forgiven. And it's a good deal. And all of this courage, we have to remember, is rooted in the fact that Jesus Christ is the atonement the payment for all of our sin. John needed to remind his people of that. What did he say in 1 John 2, 1? He says, I am writing this so that you may not sin. There's his goal. Like, you know, again, Bible study. Look for him, look for the writer saying, here's the purpose. The straight up purpose to talk about living in the light is so we have fellowship, so that we can what? Overcome sin so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with 
the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the atonement for our sins. So sin has lost its sting if you're in Christ. So it doesn't have to be scary. You can confront it knowing that's how you overcome it. But when you do struggle, you bask under the umbrella that you have an advocate who is your righteousness. That can make us into courageous people. Because when we have Jesus, we don't need to be afraid of sin in the past or the present. We bring it into the light so that Jesus can show you over and over that he forgives you, atone for it on your behalf, and now he wants to show you his power to cleanse, to heal, so that you sin less and less and enjoy a life of increasing intimacy with God and the people around you. So Christians have a, a privilege to be the most authentic people on the planet. Nothing to hide. Our sin's paid for. And when it gets exposed, good, because that means it's getting healed. So one of the phrases we like to use is, so whatever God reveals, it's only because he likes to heal, or it's only because he wants to heal. And so when God shines a light, we don't need to be scared. He's not doing it to shame you. Whatever he reveals, it's because he's going to heal. Revealing comes before healing. You want healing? You've got to let the revealing take place. Live in the light. I think I'm going to pause there, have my wife share, and then we are going to close with communion together to bask in the reality that he is our advocate. Honest awareness. This process of living in the light is a process of inviting the Holy Spirit to help us to live in an honest awareness. It's inviting him to show us where our hearts, our thoughts, our words are not lined up with him. We can't always see it. You know, the Holy Spirit comes and he shows us. We go, oh, wow, you have something better for me. You have something more for me. And then there's also an honest awareness that when we have a thought or mindset, a negative emotion, anything that is less than heavenly, anything that is less than the heart and the mind of Christ, anything that doesn't agree with, what's, with what is in the scriptures, that we would have um, a passion to bring that before the Lord, not just to accept it as normal. Oh, well, that's just the way that I am. Oh, well, it's just, okay, okay I'm just going to stumble through life like that. I'm just, I just have that setback. His promise is that we all with unveiled face as we behold the glory of the Lord, that he is transforming us as his light shines on us, that he is transforming us from one degree of glory to another. So I want to encourage us with those words, honest, honest awareness, to be asking the Holy Spirit to show us. You know, um, th this became a real passion of ours back in college 
when uh, one of our mentors brought that to us, to where we've really become, um, I don't know what the word would be, but assessors of every thought and every emotion. Is that lining up with you, Jesus? You know? And if it's not, it's not a slap on the hand and it's not scolding. He reveals it because he wants to give us something so much better. He shows us the lies and the places where we're not in agreement with him, where we're not lined up with him because he has something so much better for us. You know, um, there's, there's been an idea in the American church and probably in church in general, you know, where there's this almost aversion to sin. Oh, we're not, you know, I don't sin. You know, everybody pretends to be perfect and nothing could be farther from the truth. And I think this passage is one of the most beautiful examples of that. Um, And the last thing I really want to highlight is the beginning of the verse when it says, let's see. Okay, here we go. Um, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is the light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we have the cleansing, which is the healing, the catharise, is that how you say it? But, But what I love there... What I think is really, really beautiful is that as we have that honest awareness and as we invite the Holy Spirit to go deeper, to take us deeper and deeper still, to penetrate our mindsets, to give us his heart, to show us what we're believing lies and to show us what truth he wants to give us instead, that there is a beautiful fellowship we have with one another. We not only have fellowship with him, but we have, that the verse says, we have fellowship with one another. There's a strengthening. There's an edifying of the relationship we have with one another. How many of you, you know, you can, you can recall where there's relationships where, where they're more surfacey and they're kind of fake. They're not very close. There's not much fellowship. But when there's, the, when there's an honesty of, you know what, I'm struggling. I'm struggling in this area. Would you pray for me? You know, and James says, if we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, we will be healed. There's a there's another promise of as we are authentic and open and have fellowship with one another, with one another that he brings healing. Um, and, and, and the last thing I want to mention is um, resurrection power is what we are made to walk in. He brings life to the dead parts. And if we're not willing to acknowledge the dead parts that are in darkness, then we're not going to have and we won't experience the depth of resurrection life. And how many of us know we were made to walk in resurrection power? Yeah, so let's pray. Yeah, Lord, we just thank you for your resurrection power. We thank you, Lord. We, We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to take us deeper and deeper still, deeper and deeper still, and walking in your light. Open the eyes of our hearts, God, just continually just to walk in your light 
And thank you, God, that as we are transformed by you, that, um, that you take away all the lies and all the stigmas of sin because we are covered and we are beloved. We are loved by you. We are precious by you. And we are still perfect in your eyes because of your blood. We're covered by your blood. But God, there's so much beauty. There's so much beauty in us coming before you and being hand in hand with brothers and sisters and being transformed from one degree of glory to another. There's so much fellowship. There is so much testimony of a resurrection power. So Lord, um, we invite you to open the eyes of our hearts to show us where we are living in darkness. And it's, and it's not all at once. It's not, oh no, I have all these issues. It's, it's you're just reaching out your hand saying, come with me, come with me, honey. Come with me, son. Come with me, daughter. I want to take you higher. I want to lift you out of the pit. I want to lift you up on the mountain. I want to take you out of that pit, put you on the top of that mountain, and give you a song to sing, a song about how you used to be in the pit and how I lifted you up, a song about how you used to be in the darkness and I made you new and I shine my light. So God, I just thank you that this house of yours is a house where there is a resurrection party going on all the time. So God, we just thank you for a fresh resurrection anointing <laughs> as we step further and further into living in the light as your blessed and beloved children experiencing your resurrection life with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. I was singing 